Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the Two Marks and a Spark Wrestling, but today, as it was Monday, not so wrestling podcast. Uh, my guest today, Larry Hankin. You're going to hear from Larry in a minute, but first, let's talk about our sponsor today, and that is ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN.com slash spark. You get three free months when you sign up for the 12-month package. That brings you up to 15 months of the best VPN on the internet. It's an awesome deal. Go check it out. Also, thanks to Larry Hankin for coming on this show. He's somebody who I've looked up to for a long time because he's been in so many things. Home Alone, Breaking Bad, Friends. Like, just go look at this guy's IMDb. It's it's a history class in modern film. It is just awesome. And he's great. And we have a blast talking. So without further ado, here's me and Larry Hankin. Enjoy, folks. Recording in progress. All right, I'm here with Larry Hankin. It's been a while since we've done a video version of this. Uh, Mr. Hankin, it is an honor to have you. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Uh, I don't really know where to start with this interview because you've been doing so much and you've done so much. And I... Well, you got to start somewhere, so just start anywhere. Well, let's start at the beginning. When did you know you wanted to be an actor? I never wanted to be an actor. I still don't want to be an actor. That, that's an interesting question, but it's true from my end. I never wanted to be an actor, never thought about it. I can't act. I mean, uh, acting, um, you know, I've done parts and I and they call them acting. You know, I did, you know, Old Joe and uh, Breaking Bad and uh, Breaking Bad. I did Escape from Alcatraz. That's an acting job. But I just memorized lines. And I did what I thought was possible. I never studied acting. I'm an improviser. That, that's what I am. I'm a stand-up comedian. And uh, acting is really too hard for me. Uh, once you get famous as, an, as a, quote, actor, you, you get bigger parts. And the bigger parts have bigger lines to memorize, more lines to memorize. And that's just too hard. It's just too much. It takes too much time for me. I'm dyslexic, first of all. So that, that makes it very hard for me to. There's a lot of actors who are dyslexic. They overcome it. I just am too lazy to do that. So I, I look at a part now and how many lines do I have to memorize? And then if there's too many lines, I just say, nah, I don't want to do it. Uh, so I never want. So to answer your question, I never wanted to be an actor because it's too hard. So I just do easy stuff for me. Maybe it's hard for other people, but I mean, old Joe was probably the hardest acting I've ever done because Vince Gilligan likes to write and write know, right? and write and, and write. write and write. So I had a lot of memorization uh, to do uh, with that, but I just wanted to work with Vince Gilligan and I, I was a big fan of Breaking Bad. So that's why I accepted the role. And that was also your second time working with Brian Cranston, if you remember, because you did have a role on Malcolm in the Middle at one point. Right, but I didn't remember that. Uh, I found that out through podcasts. But like you just mentioned it, yeah. They said, "Well, you know, you worked twice with Brian Cranston." No, I didn't know that. Yeah, on uh, what? What was it? All in the Family or something? Malcolm in the Middle. You were. A, I think I read you were a homeless guy, which is funny because I've watched all of Malcolm in the Middle, and I don't think I remember there being a single homeless guy in that show. Well, uh, I, I don't remember what it was. I think uh, that's true. Nobody ever mentioned what I was. I, I don't I, I, I remember doing the show now that you mention it. 
I do remember doing the show. I do remember working with Brian Cranston. He wasn't Brian Cranston at the time. He was just, I guess, the father, right? Didn't he play the father? He was Hal. Uh, so, so I remember standing there and doing lines with him, but I don't remember my costume. I think I was a homeless guy because at the time I was just accepting homeless roles uh, and going out for homeless roles because I wanted to get into homeless acting because I had a character in my mind that I was writing that was homeless. So I just wanted to study what other writers and directors and programs were doing with homeless people. So that's why I was doing homeless parts. It was not because of the money. It was because I, I had to study homeless because I was writing about it. And I thought, wow, well, I mean, if you get in a movie and you be homeless, that's pretty much good research right there. Uh, so that's that, that's why I worked with Brian Cranston. But I don't specifically remember. There's a lot of, I. you know what I did? I did the other day. I um, looked me up because I don't follow me at all. I mean, really. I Just don't. no interest or? No interest whatsoever. That, I never wanted to be an actor. Uh, I just I want to be a stand up comedian. I want to be a painter. Those are my paintings up there. Uh, I want to be a writer. I'm writing now. Uh, so all those things, all that all that acting that you saw on IMDb, that now gives me the. Um, uh, what, what do you call it? The, the label the, of actor almost. Well, no, the the residual that now come in from all the things I did in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and in the beginning of the 2001 to 2010. All those residuals now allow me to write. I get residuals and that pays for rent because I don't work. I now write. I'm writing screenplays. So, so that's what I am now. I'm a writer. Uh, but I was an actor to save up money to make my own little films. That's why I was an actor, because I could get paid enough money quick enough to make films. Film, making films is very expensive, even if you want to just do something on your, on your iPhone. Now, well, when I was doing it, there was no iPhone. But now you can do it on iPhone. But even then, you have to download it, you have to edit it, you have to rent this, you have to do that. So it's, it's very expensive to make movies. And I thought that acting was the quickest way to get enough money to make movies that's what i wanted to do and working with clint eastwood early on didn't didn't hurt didn't hurt at all i mean as a matter of fact that got me an academy award nomination me for for doing a film see i did that movie uh escape from alcatraz and i got more money than i'd ever got in my entire life i got thirty-five thousand dollars, and that was like my first really big film i was doing little films up in san francisco little independent things because I was in the committee and I was improvising. So people would see the show and they'd go, hey, you know, you want to be in this movie? I'm making a little movie, in, you know, in San Francisco. Uh, you only get $150 or whatever. I go, yeah, yeah, because I want to learn. So uh, and then I got uh, Escape from Alcatraz. And all of a sudden I got a check. Well, I was getting the checks each week, but I had my life was kind of shrunk down to affording money that the uh, committee was paying me and these little films were paying me. So I had very low overhead. 
So I was just putting the checks every, uh, I think got every two weeks we had a check. And I was on the movie for three months. So I was putting these checks in a sock drawer. So at the end of the movie, I just took all these checks, which I had never cashed. And I, I, it was $35,000. Did they get a little mad at you for not cashing them all right away? or No, they didn't even know. What are you kidding? Boy, that's like, it was like, uh, I think, uh, uh, I don't know what movie company it was. We, you know, a major company, Columbia Films or Malpaso Productions. Um, they, they, they got so much money coming in and out, they don't even know I exist. $35,000. They're, they're writing checks for millions. That was the Malpaso company you were, you were right. Well, even the, you know, the, the, the overriding company, Malpaso was a satellite production company of like MGM or Columbia, or I don't know what the big company was, but I was, they didn't even know I had money. I mean, they wrote me up as a matter of fact, they told me that because, uh, I had, they, they, oh, that was an, another one. Another big major production company like Columbia or MGM paid me a lot of money, almost the same amount, like $35,000 or whatever it was, to write a movie for me. So I got the money in front uh, because I had a name as an actor. Right. So they paid me the money in front. And then um, I didn't give them the screenplay or they didn't like the screenplay or something happened with the screenplay. But I had already either spent the money or hit it or whatever I did with it. Oh, I dug a hole and put it in there. Right. And I, I, and later about two years, and then they never called me about it and never said anything about it. And then one day I met one of the CEOs at an airport that I recognized. I go, I, yeah, right. You know, we, you, you paid me that money to do that screenplay. I, I never gave you the money back. I, I said that to him. I never gave you the money back like four years later two three years later he said forget about it he wrote it off it's okay so they knew in front i mean i wasn't telling them something new they took it as a as a, a write-off in other words they paid for a screenplay that they didn't like so they just wrote it off very simple uh, they have a lot of money going in there. not millions billions you'd so, be surprised was, how much money hollywood has like I wouldn't be surprised at all. Disney has probably trillions at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, trillions, yes, exactly. I have a friend uh, who works down in Florida for Disney, and it's just, it's a money pit. Uh, it is a money pit, but I'll tell you a funny story about Disney and money. Um, I have worked in, in, in my past for, for the Disney product, you know, for Disney company. Uh, I don't even remember what I did for them. I, I've done like two or three shows way back when I first started. Okay. I got paid, you know, whatever it was, $250, $500, whatever it was. And then you get residuals. Right. And the residuals I was getting after a while, because the, the residuals start getting smaller and smaller, unless you have a major role, which I didn't have. So I was getting checks for three cents, seven cents, two cents why even send you the check at that point because they owed me the money in other words you know they go by mathematics you know every every couple of months it goes down five percent or ten percent and so they were just doing the math and then finally the math came out to ten percent of what the thing is now it comes out to two cents 
So they sent it to me. They finally woke up to your, your point because the, the point of this story is I would not cash any of those two cent checks because the reason I didn't is because Disney at the time, they had, they had special checks to, to everybody. If you were a star or whatever, if you got a check from Disney company on the, where it says pay to, you know, and you have your name there, pay to, right before the pay to print, they had a little icon of Mickey Mouse going like this, like presenting, you know, boop, pay to, and there was Mickey Mouse. So that's why I was saving the checks, because they were like funny. They were almost yeah, collectible. They were almost collectible, but they were funny because it was so ridiculous that Mickey Mouse was presenting me with two cents. <laughs> so that was the irony of why I was saving it. Okay. So when I, after about a couple of years, I had like 10, 15 checks. And then I got a letter in the mail saying, because nobody, not me, just because nobody is cashing checks under a dollar or, or under 50 cents or under a quarter, I don't know, under a certain amount. And I certainly was under. They didn't send the checks. They, they, if you didn't cash the two cents within a certain amount of time, like two months, they just deleted it. You didn't get the money. So they did wake up to why are we writing checks for two cents, you know? Uh, but it took them a couple of years for me because I had a couple of years of saving. And then they said, cash them within two months or, uh, you know, forget it. Uh, and some of them were so old that even if I did cash them, they wouldn't cash. They, they had shut them down. Yeah, the, the movie company is very, so that's an, a lot of reasons why I didn't want to be an actor. It's just a lot of, I was thinking about this last night. I didn't want to be an actor and I was, while I was being an actor, I really didn't like it except the money was to go to my film thing and that's why I was doing it. The, 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 the company, acting is full of bullshit. That, that, that's the truth of it. And I've heard All it's a lot of stars. politics. Excuse me? I've heard it's a lot of politicking yourself and... Yeah, it's a lot of bullshit. I don't care what you call it. It's bullshit. It, it's bullshit. Politics is bullshit and making movies is bullshit. However, and here's the however, if you want to be an actor, there is a reason to be an actor. I saw actors who loved being actors. And, and I, I, you know, great. That's, that's great. But they loved it so much that they were willing to put up with the bullshit. It's not like because they loved being actors, there was no bullshit. If you love being an actor, you got to put up with bullshit. And if you, I think if you love being a podcaster, you got to put up with the bullshit of podcasting. Like you, you have blowouts and, and things go wrong, but you love podcasting. So you things get canceled. Things get moved around. Exactly. But you like it enough to put up with it. And I didn't. And that's the only difference. I didn't love it enough to put up with the bullshit. But any any kind of business, business even if you want to be a businessman and open a pizza shop, there's bullshit that goes along with it. And if you want to be a businessman, you got to put up with the bullshit. You know, I mean, it's just that's what life is. Bullshit and the, the good stuff. You know, <laughs> Tend towards the bullshit, and if you like, uh, tend towards the good stuff. And if you like the good stuff enough, you'll put up with the bullshit. But you know. And for those that don't know, 
Larry has 195 credits as an actor, 14 as a writer, 11 as a producer, 5 as a director, 4 as an editor. My God. And then 27 self-credits as well. My God, I didn't know that. <laughs> has no one ever and told you these numbers? On, no, I looked me up on last night for the first time. I, I admit this. I looked me up because they don't follow me. I looked me up on uh, Wikipedia and I got fucking bored with it. <laughs> I didn't finish it because it just kept on going. I was just like, you know, I just, well, I wanted to check one thing to see if uh, it was something early that I did early in my life and son of a gun, they had it on there on Wikipedia. You know what they have wrong? You know, because Wikipedia also, uh, also has things wrong. They had, Everything that I did was right. In other words, my credits were all exact. They had the year and date right. They got my name wrong. They had Larry Michael Hankin. My name, my middle name isn't Michael. It's Alan. So there, I made a correction on the air. It's Larry Allen Hankin. But Wikipedia had all the information. It's just I got bored. So you have information that I don't have because I didn't finish reading. I just, okay, yeah. Well, I, I was, go ahead. I just bring that up because that just shows what a longevity you've had in yeah. in a world of, as you called it, bullshit. Well, I, at the time, I, I not that I loved acting, but I wanted the money to make my films. I wanted to make my films enough to put up with the bullshit. And that's it. You just love it enough. And, and also, if you love it enough, you don't mind the bullshit. See, that's the other thing. It's not just bullshit, is it? Okay, but there was a goal there. But if but once the goal was finished, <clears throat> right after Breaking Bad, uh, El Camino, <clears throat> I I got out of the business. Well, I didn't get out of the business. I just changed my uh, job qualifications. I, I I didn't want. I stopped being an actor. I started to be a writer. So I got rid of my acting uh, agents and any connections to acting. So nobody called me as an actor, except friends, and then I would do it. You know, they'd, hey, we're doing a thing, can you, you know, just one day, come on in. You know, and like, hey, it's shooting tonight. You know, it's just five blocks from where you are. Okay, then I'm an actor. But it's for a friend, and it's five blocks away. So I did a lot of those. But that, that, that's not acting, that's just, you know, hanging with friends. You know. That's just you showing up and yeah. shooting the breeze. Yeah, yeah, you know, and then, okay, I'll put on it. And I had the costume, so you got to bring, you know, for those cheap sh shoots for your friends, or really, really low budgets, which you just, you do it for fun. And, you know, you have to bring your own costume. So if I had my own costume, I didn't have to go, you know, get measured and all that, which is a whole other day. So I would, you know, just get dressed at home and I'd show up, go a couple of blocks. I, I wouldn't go very far. I mean, if my friend was doing it in the neighborhood, I would do it. Uh, then I then I was an actor, but but yeah, and so that was in nine, uh, 20, uh, 2014, 2013 or twenty fourteen, somewhere around El, El Camino. I just I said okay, that's enough. I, I couldn't, you know why? I, it was a really actual fact. I couldn't take I couldn't take the bullshit. I mean, something happened on the set. It was my fault. Right. But I said okay, I don't want to make this mistake anymore. I think it was the lines. I kept on screwing up the lines. You know, I, I just, and I said, you know, this is embarrassing. It's, you know, it's holding up the production. You know, Vince is, you know, I didn't want to bother Vince. You know, he wrote these lines for me. 
And he's a very good writer. He's a great writer, and I was screwing up his lines, you know. Uh, I mean, I finally did it. I mean, I, you know, but but we had to do a couple of takes, and it, that was enough. I mean, maybe I did three takes, and and I I just bobbled the lines. So he said, "All right, Larry, you know, just take five minutes, go over your lines." You know, that was all. I mean, he he wasn't like weirded out. Right? He said, "Just take five minutes, go go over your lines." So I did. It took five minutes. I went over my lines. I came back and I did it, and that was fine. But just that discombobulation for like five minutes, I thought, you know, I don't need to give anybody that kind of bullshit. Right. I'm, I'm out. Okay. I've done enough. Did you, yeah. did you almost put up with it a little longer because you wanted to wrap up Breaking Bad in the way they did? Or was it not the loyalty to the project, but more you just thought you could keep going? Up through all I was I was going to quit before that. I mean, I was thinking about it. I, I wasn't, you know, re- ready to call. It. Okay, I'm I'm out. I don't want you guys as my agents anymore. Thank you. No, I I was, but I was thinking about. You know, I got to quit. This is getting the 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 love and the money, and and the bullshit. We're starting to just like equal out. You know, it's got to be like this. You know, I love it this much, and there's this much bullshit, and around. Breaking Bad, and I was doing other parts. It wasn't because of Breaking Bad, but I was doing, and it started to go like this. And then, around around El Camino, when I when he said, "Now take five minutes and just go over your lines again," it went, Doot. and I go, "Okay, that's <laughs> that's my point right there." That's my point right there. And I just said, "Okay, goodbye." Uh, it's it just you know, it was just a small little thing, you know, like the straw that breaks the camel's back. And you say, "You did it for just this little reason." Well, yeah, but. It was years of, you know, mounting and mounting. I had a job like that where I was there for about a year and a half and I loved it for the first five months. And then the bullshit just started to. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's, you know, your manager, sometimes it's, uh, uh, you know, what you're doing just got too boring. I mean, there's a lot of times when I get, when I'm writing, I just, I'm just too bored. I can't, you know, I'll come back tomorrow or maybe next week. I, I just, it's too much. And I find that when I do walk away, I mean, it's, there's something good about being able to walk away and not being chained to something right. because of obligations or something. It, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm writing. There's nobody telling me what to do except the person I'm handing it into. You know, well, I'll rewrite this. Okay, you know, I'll rewrite it because I want to be a writer, because I want to sell this, because, you know, so I'll do it. And then, so I walk away sometimes. I, I can't work on this anymore. It's just, it's all, the words start flying out at me, you know, and discombobulating. I'm dyslexic, so sometimes it's hard for me to read if I get too tired. My focus starts to go. That's part of the dyslexia thing. So I just walk away for an hour, go for a run, or I'll come back the next day, and it's fresh, and I can, boom. Well, how do you like that? I can read this. <laughs> I, I couldn't two days ago. I'm so thankful. I've got a couple projects I'm working on right now, and one of them is actually a writing project, and I'm just getting back into writing after several years away from it. I wrote short stories all through high school, and and I and I just stopped, and I couldn't tell you why I stopped. I'm a little dyslexic like you. Sometimes I'll sit there and I'll write, you know, a page or two, and then I'll be sitting there trying to read it, and I'm like, yeah, I can't, I can't do this right now. Right. Yeah. And so that's. But that yeah, that applies to all jobs in all departments. You know, 
You could be a uh, fire engine driver. You, know, you can right, go from I'm loving it to wanting to bash your head into the wall. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, basically, I just want to keep my – not happy. I, 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 this, that's ridiculous. Happy to me is like love. <laughs> it's a little too squishy, squashy uh, all over the place. So I just want to maintain a, a level of, of, of neutralness, of, you know, like, like I am right now, you know, just calm. Just, uh, and, and if something gets me out of that pocket, then I back off, you know. And I've done that all my life, and, and it seems to work for me. Some other people uh, just, you know, head down and get through it. Whatever, whatever gets you through it, basically, the yeah. night or your job. And I always have had the opinion, if you're not happy with what you're doing, get the hell out of there because you're just going to yeah. be miserable. But, you know, a lot of people have obligations, you know. Uh, but, you know, there must be some way, I don't know, you know, because maybe if you have a child. See, I don't have any, any children. So that's a, a big responsibility. And I, I, I've lived with women who had children, so I've been around children, and I had, you know, I was supporting them. Well, and that was fun. But I wasn't getting along with, <laughs> with the, their moms, you know. So it, maybe it was my fault. Maybe it was the mom's fault. Who knows? I, I kind of think it was my fault. You know, I, I just, I don't know. But I, I got along with kids because it was a responsibility that I kind of loved. You know, you know, I gotta, you got to feed the kid. That, that was, that was the, the primary thing. You know, it's weird when you have children, whether they're your own or you've adopted them. Uh, the responsibility is like really cool. It's a cool responsibility. It's kind of a routine uh, thing, as, too. If you like it? if you like routine, you're going to love having kids because they're going to put you on one. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but the rewards that I got from hanging around a, a four year old, I mean, they're teachers. They're little damn gurus. And what, what I got from the kid is, I think, far more than what the kid got from me, although I, I try to share. You know, I mean, I mean just his, uh, his logic. If you screw up in front of a kid, if you lie to a kid, I mean, it's unbelievable. They either pin you on it because they have no, uh, they don't have any um, blocks, you know, they don't they just say it right you know don't don't <laughs> I remember this little three-year-old four-year-old girl little girl katie she was four years old. i was going she i told her i told her, i said don't go on my desk you know because i had all my writing stuff there don't go on my desk because you mess up my papers don't do that you know she goes yeah okay so i come back like, you know, two or three days later, and my desk is all messed up. You know, she just likes to get up on the chair and go through my stuff. And I go, I go over to her and I go, you know, I'm a tall guy. I'm 6'4", and she's like, you know, five years old. And I go, hey, and I'm shaking my finger at her. Hey, I told you not to go near my stuff, and you were going near my stuff, and I'm shaking my finger in her face. And she just looked at me, and she says, hey, don't shake your finger in my face at me. I'm a little kid. I go, oh, okay. I'm sorry. The oh, patience. I, I'm not a parent myself, but I have friends who are. And yeah. the patience you get from that is yeah. just yeah. infinite. Yeah, and it's true. They pin you. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Don't shake your fucking finger at me. Oh, you're right. I, I shouldn't be doing that. You're Don't right. scream at me. Oh, no. You're right. I shouldn't be doing that either. I... Exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot. Of... And then the other thing is if you do something wrong, the, the... I'll tell you just one other short thing because kids fascinate me. Um, I was, had a, a little uh, taco. I was in with a, a, a woman, a great woman, actually, you know. And uh, so I, to, uh, I told her, uh, I hear he would like to get up and get his own glass of water in the kitchen, which is kind of hard because he has to drag over a chair, you know, get up on the chair, and then he turns on the water. It's a hard reach. Then he has to go get a glass, you know. And it's just a big problem. And then sometimes he'll leave the water running. He'll leave the chair there. He'll... So one time I'm writing and I hear crash. I hear breaking glass in the kitchen. And I go, oh, man. And I didn't want to get up from writing. And I go, oh, man. Okay, I, I got to get up. And just as I'm getting up, he comes running in. And he comes running into the room that I'm in. And it just, and then just stops and he's just hanging there. Like nothing happened. Like he was there all the time. <laughs> For a five-year-old kid acting like nonchalant he's just standing there i go what just happened he says i don't know so i go into the kitchen and there's the chair the water's running and there's broken drinking glass on the floor i say hey paco come in here he comes in here he said did you and i i the other times when he left the water running, i did holler at him so i i knew i shouldn't i go god damn it paco don't leave the water run. I've done that a couple of times. Okay, so now I call him in and I say, hey, Paco, did you do I point to the glass. Did you do this? And he goes, no. Okay. No, he was lying because obviously he didn't do it. Who did it, the dog? Yeah, yeah right. right. So I, I, I didn't push it because it's, I suddenly realized that I caused him to lie. I taught him to lie. Because all that hollering about, you know, don't leave the water run. He knew he was going to be hollered at. Broken glass is worse than running water. Uh, he might get a spanking. We, we never spanked him. I, she never did. I never did. But, you know, he, in other words, he was in enough trouble. Or, or he did something which he knew Larry would holler at me because he doesn't like what I just did. So he lied, and he had never lied. I would ask him stuff, and he would always tell me the truth before this moment. And it stuck with me for the rest of my life. I said, I taught a little kid. Now, life is full of lies. So sooner or later, somebody's going to, you know, he's going to learn to lie sooner or later. We all do it. It's just like it's part of our human beings, part of, I think, mammals. But, but I just didn't like me for causing me to be the first one you'd be so little kids do teach you shit that you don't realize about yourself larry you lose your temper too fast that's what they taught me and i i i, I absorbed it. I, I got it hollering yeah, is pretty cool. goddamn well pointless it, 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 yeah it kind of is at times at, let's shift oh, back yeah. to talking a little bit about let's talk a little bit about your writing Okay. Um, I'm looking at... Oh, crap. Uh, okay, my notes just got screwed up. Uh, hold on. Okay, there we go. Blooper rail. I'm just looking at your IMDb. 
Wow. It, you have 14 writing credits, the first being Sally's Diner from 1980. Yeah. Okay. Ready? Here, I'm going to switch. Were you there? See that? Yeah. That's an Academy Award nomination. I just, for you who don't have a TV set or, or, or aren't, aren't on TV set, that's how old I am. On the internet, I just pointed to a little plaque I have. For, I got and, an Academy Award nomination for Sally's Diner because I wrote it, directed it, and did the lead. That was my writing. So that's why I want to be a writer. That, uh, you know, uh, I thought and, that was really cool. And what I think is weird here is you have a 24 year gap between Sally's Diner and the next thing you're credited as writing. Right. And because, uh, well, yeah. But. And the next thing you're credited for writing is a video documentary short. It's like. What was that? Uh, Revenge of the Ring thing. Oh, that. Yeah, right. Uh, well, no. Uh, what happened was that was from uh, uh, Sally's Diner was because I was in Escape from Alcatraz. And that was the $35,000 that I got. And Sally's Diner cost $20,000 to make. So I took all that money. See, that's why I say I work as an actor to make films. Uh, I got $35,000. I paid off a lot of debts. I got bought a junker car. And I, I took $10,000 cash and made the film uh, because that's what it cost, you know, because of you know, crew and everything like that. But we had, but it wasn't enough. I had to raise another $10,000 to get it because we banked it. You know, uh, we couldn't finish editing it because we ran out of the $10,000. So I had to work a couple of more movies to, to raise the rest of it. But when we finally finished it, we handed it in to the Academy and it got a nomination. It was nominated. So, but that's why it was so long till the next one because that was cheap. That was back in 19... Well, this uh, released in 1980, so... 1980, yeah. So we made it in 1979, 78, 79. So in 1980, that film, Sally's Diner, 10 minutes, cost $20,000. Today, that would cost uh, probably $75,000. I was going to say pretty close to 80, right? It, yeah, right. Yeah. So that's why there was this big gap. I kept on making the same amount of money, but the cost of making films kept on going up and I couldn't keep up with bringing it in. So I, my films would be smaller and smaller, one minute, two minute films, which don't get on IMDb. I mean, that's just, you know, they were never published or put out, you know, to the public. They were just on my Facebook page or whatever, you know, just locally, I would show it at a, at a coffee house, you know, I would just show it to whoever was there. Uh, so that, that was why the big gap. And then uh, the ring thing, I finally had saved up enough money, uh, but it was a very cheap movie. I mean, it was cheaper to make than Sally's Diner. And it was an hour. No, no, wait a minute. I think it was, it was 20 or 40 minutes. I, I don't remember. I can was, check oh, right now. Oh yeah. Uh, they have it listed at 16 minutes. 16 minutes. All right. Well, it, it cost uh, um, a lot of money, a couple thousand dollars. It, it cost a lot of money. And I, whatever I had, that's what I spent. You know, that, that, you know, and you just make, you make 
I make a film for whatever money I have. So your passion is very clearly more behind the scenes than in front of the camera. Yeah. As it's. I want to be in front. No, I want to be like Woody Allen, you know, that, that kind of thing. Or Clint Eastwood, who is now kind of moved into a both in front and behind the camera role. Right. Yeah. But he doesn't write. I just want to write and maybe direct and be in it. I think he's written a couple things now. Clint? Really? I, I think so. I thought I saw that because when I saw that uh, you were both in Escape from Alcatraz, I was doing some looking and it looked like he had a credit, but I, I'm double checking I because because so. I, I know the writer of, of Escape from Alcatraz. Yeah, I know he didn't write Escape from Alcatraz. Yeah. Uh, fold this up. Nope, you're right. He has not wrote a darn thing. But he's directed a lot. Uh, 52 was, or 45 movies yeah how, how many movies did he direct 45 and he's produced 52 what holy cow i never knew and he's that. acted in that. 72 like <laughs> oh he's acted in 72 no okay but he's 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 produced 70 well i guess yes the movies that he acted in he's produced 52 he's acted in 72 and he's directed 45 my guess is there's a oh. lot of overlap there in terms of what's what. Yeah, but but he's directed 45. I never knew that. I mean, I, I, I thought I knew something about Clint Eastwood, but that's amazing to direct 45 movies. I mean, big time directors who are famous for directing like John Huston. I don't know how movies that would be 45, 50. But OK, fine. Whatever. Good for you, Clint. I nice mean, and he's got another movie coming out like this year. I, I swear this guy is like, he's probably one of the like more senior actors in Hollywood. He's been around forever. Yeah. He's been around since like, I think when, when was his first acting credit? Hold on. Cause he started as an actor. His first acting credit was in, get this, 1955, and he's still going. Uh, well, oh, that was probably like Gunsmoke and stuff like that. Or not Gunsmoke, but, you know, one of those cowboy black and white TV shows. Yeah. Well, okay. You got to start somewhere, of course. I mean. Oh, yeah. But think about that. It's 2021, and he started in 55. The guy's been around for ages. Like, Yeah. He probably started acting because he wanted to be an actor, and he probably started when he was like eighteen, or, or yeah, he probably started when he was around eighteen, or which is what most actors start out as. You know, some actors start out at fifteen or sixteen, so that's not so easy to, and not so hard to imagine that you know he, he's been acting that long. I started late. I started when I was in my late twenties. That's what I was going to ask you next: is when did you start acting? Late twenties, early thirties, because I was I was a stage actor before then. I was in I was an improviser, which I which is not acting. It really isn't. It's There's thinking on your feet acting. is what it is. It's what thinking on your feet and knowing what. No, no, it's it's improvising. It's not thinking on your feet. I mean, there's a there's a there's a way of acting. There, there's a a rule book. There's you can study improvisation and you can study acting and you can study thinking on your feet. There's 
Sticking on your feet is more a stand-up comic. Uh, I'm a storyteller, comedian, stand-up. Then there's acting and then there's improv. I studied with Viola Spolin to be an improviser in, at Second City for a year before I became an improviser. Uh, so no, it's not. It has to do with relationships, which is the cross, the connection between improvising and acting. They're both based on relationships, on what the other person is doing, and what you are doing, and what's going on in the scene. I don't want to get into it, but see, I didn't yeah, know I improv went that deep. Like you're teaching me something right now. I well, yeah, because a lot of people make that mistake, and I got to clarify it when I well, hear I thank mistake. you for clarifying it because, like. I'd rather get something right than get it wrong, and yeah, you'd no, have thinking, a better understanding. Of on, if you're thinking on your feet, you'd be fired in two seconds, because I've seen it <laughs> where people are thinking on your feet. No, thank you very much. Next, goodbye. <laughs> have a good one. Goodbye. And some people, I tell you what, what, what thinking on the on, on your feet is. You know the improv show, uh, whose line is it anyway? Yes, that's thinking on your feet. They're not improvising. They're thinking on their feet. If you look, there's hardly any relationship. They're standing there and talking between two people. It's almost kind of awkward the way they're standing there. It's like. Uh, yeah, but they're very funny and they're very clever and they do it very well. And the point of whose line is it anyway is to be funny and make the audience laugh. And they do that, man. So they're doing what they're hired to do. Think on your feet. But. It's not improvising. Improvising is what Second City teaches and what the committee, well, when I was in it, what, what we taught. And we didn't teach that. <laughs> but, but I'm not putting that down. They're, they're doing their job, man. They're, they're quite clever. I actually I just that. discovered that show do... recently. Like I was just on YouTube and I just found old clips of it. Yeah, they're great. They're great. You know, and sometimes they're not great, but... Generally, you know, I mean, thinking on your feet, I'll tell you what's the same is thinking on your feet and improvisation is sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, you're, you're thinking on your feet, man. You know, how, how brilliant, how genius can you be? You know, every, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and two shows on Friday and Saturday. You know, how, how genius can you be every night? Uh, the same thing with improv or thinking on your feet. It's, it's a hit or miss thing, but that's part of the gig. And failure is part of the teaching mechanism. You, you learn what to do when it ain't going well. You know, there's, oh, it's not going well. Well, we can do this in each one. And acting, it's not going well if you're not connecting with the other person, if you're not relating, if you're not real, if you're not connecting. You know. So, I don't know. But, I, you know, uh, they're just they're just do three different ways of uh, performing. See, I'm a performer. I guess that that's what gets down to. I'm a performer. I can't I'll believe act. I let 40 minutes go without asking you this, but how was the friends reunion after all those years getting to go back there and seeing those people again? Oh, wait, a minute. I got to get rid of this. There's something on here. What the hell is going on? Well, I'll just move it out of the way. Okay. Um, so ask me that again, friends. The friends reunion, how was that? Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet, but I've heard from a lot of the people that were there that it was like just this really real moment of, holy crap, we're all together again. 
I don't, I don't know. To me, it was uh, ridiculous. Uh, it, was, it was just kind of, kind of stupid. You know, I, I mean, it takes a lot to impress me, and I wasn't very impressed. But here's why. Here, here's, uh, I'll give you a sidebar. Is that wasn't produced by the producers of Friends. I've heard that. So when I say it was ridiculous, it was ridiculous because the people who produced Friends, who wrote it and produced it, they knew what they were doing. You know, that Friends is not going all around the world still on its second or third trip because of the people who produced the Friends reunion. Uh, that was just let's make a lot of money real fast. Um, I was on the, uh, they picked me up, they drove me there, which was very nice. You know, they, uh, but once they dropped me off, I was locked in a room until I went on. Uh, I, uh, uh, I couldn't talk. I couldn't be Larry Hankin. I had to be Mr. Heckles. I had two or three lines. After I came on, said my two or three lines, I was taken back up into my room got out of my robe and they drove me home. I couldn't talk to anybody. I would, it was like I was under arrest. And uh, most of the guests were famous stars, none of the character actors. I think they were forced to use Mr. Heckles because Mr. Heckles was a very popular character. So they said, well, we gotta, well, let's get heckled. I mean, they, I had to argue with them. I, I, I turned them down three times. I didn't want to do it. I thought it was ridiculous in, in front. And well, I'd heard some people part. saying that your that the that your role had been severely diminished. I haven't seen it personally. I love the show Friends, but no, it wasn't severely diminished. Well, the, uh, because what they gave me was what I did on the show was what they gave me, and then I said, well, I don't want to do this if I just do Mr. Heckles. What's the point of that? I did Mr. Heckles ten years ago. Why do I have to do Mr. Heckles again? I don't even look like Mr. Heckles anymore. I mean, what are you talking about? And then they said, well, we'll get back to you. I said, no, don't. What's the point? And so, and, and so they called me back. And they, and then they said, well, okay, you, you, you can also talk. You can be Larry Hankin. I said, okay, fine. What are you going to pay me? And they go, oh, well, we'll have to, we'll have to think about that. I go, oh, it's well, HBO. What it. do they have to think about? Exactly, exactly. So I said, no, forget it then. I mean, I, I was, I didn't want to do it. I, I don't mean, blame I you from the sound of it. And, and finally, they called me back, and they paid me such a huge amount of money. And I go, whoa, I can make a film. Cool, let's do this. But when I got there, they said, oh, by the way, you only can do the lines we gave you. You, you can't. Larry Hankin. But I was there and I was in the robe already. And they that's when they told me, no, you can't be Larry Hankin. When I was in costume and, and waiting in my dressing room for my cue, they, they said, I'd have just oh, flipped him uh, the you... bird, said keep the money, and walked out the door. No, 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 no. I wanted to make my film. See, that's the difference. You put up with the bullshit if you wanted enough. If you got and something you're looking it. forward to immediately after, you're willing to put up with it a little more because you got something to look forward to at least. Right. It was it was a, a lot of money, and I made another film. So, you know, there's a reason why I do things. 
I just don't, you know, hey, man. I, I'm not into this star thing. I don't understand it. I'm not into the fan thing. Which is funny because you are a star so much in your own right. In your, no, no. In your mind, I'm a star. Not in my mind. Uh, my mind, I'm Larry Hankin. Uh, I paint, I write, I act, I drink a little coffee, I drink a little juice. This is juice. In Not in my mind. And that's, that's, that's the other bullshit of being a, an actor. The star thing. I don't get it. Is it I, I'm sorry, folks. If you're a fan of mine, I love you. You know, it's very necessary to have fans. It's just that I'm not a fan. I am a fan of people. I'm a fan of Clint Eastwood. I'm a fan of John Huston. I'm a fan of Picasso. I'm a fan uh, of uh, a lot of people that you don't know. A lot of people in the army I'm a fan of. But I don't bother them and I don't write them. And I just, it's in my mind. You know, I look up to them. I, I look up to them as mentors. I try to learn from them. When I'm on a set and I'm with Clint Eastwood, I'm not asking him for his autograph. Right. I'm watching him and learning from him. That to me, that's not a fan. That's a student. See, that's so, kind of how I am with higher tier podcasters than me. And if I ever get around them, I want to. I want to learn from them. Exactly. I I'm kind of young in this whole thing. I'm only 22, so like, and I've only been doing this for about eight nine months. So I'm obviously just trying to suck all right. the. Right, exactly. When I get around a bigger podcaster who clearly knows more of what they're doing than I do, I'm like, you know, what can I pick up from this conversation exactly. that I don't okay. already know? Um, I was in a restaurant the other day in public. <laughs> I was, uh, I don't really think, you know, like I said, I don't follow me. But I was, I was in a restaurant and I was having, you know, dinner with a friend. And as I got up, you know, table, there was a, bunch of people sitting at a big table round table about eight people sitting around table and one woman says oh look who that is and they go and i had i had my mask on they recognized me with a ma with my mask on my covid mask on so i just you know to, just to be playful you know and i bear them no ill will so uh, there was a ladies there then one of the wives said oh look look that's mr heckle so i took my mask off and they go, oh, wow. And I laughed. And I, and I put my mask back on and I kept on walking. Now, I bear that, no, that woman no ill will. And I enjoyed that moment. That was a fan. She wasn't learning anything from me. She wasn't asking me for anything. She was just excited that she had seen, quote, unquote, a star in Hollywood. I was in Santa Monica, but they, <laughs> that's, that counts as Hollywood to them. So she was very excited that she saw a star. Now, I don't be, I guess it was the word behoove her that. I don't, I don't, I'm not against her having that joy. And I got my little laugh by taking my mask down. And she goes, oh, wow, it is Mr. Heckle. But that's just a momentary thing. So when I say I don't, I'm not a fan and I put down fans. No, I don't put down that woman. She's just having fun. I gave her a little joy in her life. But that's not me. So don't, you know, I don't want people to mix me up with the whole bullshit of Hollywood and stars. If you get off seeing me, great. That's wonderful. Have your little moment. 
because it gets me up. Oh, I brought a little joy to that woman. But I don't carry it with me. I, I'm a fan of John Huston, so when I worked with John Huston on Annie, I just hung around with him and didn't bother him at all, but I saw how he directed. And I go, when I direct somebody, I'm going to direct like John Huston or like Larry David or like uh, Don Siegel or like blah, blah, blah. I try to come away with something. That, you know, that's all. And that's what I do with interviews, too, is yeah. I try to take yeah. at least three things yeah. away from every interview that I didn't know yeah. before. Exactly. Because exactly. my idea is I'll go into any interview. I don't care who you are. I'll interview you no matter what, as long as I think I can learn something from it. Or I think yeah, yeah. my audience can learn something. Or yeah. it, it, exactly. It, it's all about knowing. That okay, yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, yeah, period. It's all about knowing. Um, I'll give you an example of the difference. That woman who's a fan of, of Mr. Heckles, you know, there's you who are interviewing me because maybe you'll learn something, either from, for you or from me. But if that woman who is a fan of mine interviewed me, it wouldn't go very well. Right. Because she's not there to learn anything. Or I don't know. Maybe she, maybe she is. Maybe she's a very intelligent woman. I, I don't know. But from that moment, no, she was, she was not learning anything. She was just happy that she saw a star. Wow. And she has a little tale to tell when she gets back home, you know, to Far Rockaway or Peoria, you know, or Florida, wherever she goes. Hey, you know, I saw Mr. Heckles. I, I think great. it's so weird you know, that everyone you know, can, it's, it's so weird now that everyone can have a podcast. So the fans and the quote unquote media, which I don't consider myself media, by the way, I'm 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 just a guy who sits in front of a nice microphone and talks into it like that's all I am. Uh, well, you're an interviewer. I know you're not just a guy. You're an interviewer. I, I, I guess I won't. I won't be interviewed by any guys. I'm, I'm telling you right now. If a guy called me up and said, "Hey, Larry," I get it on my Facebook a lot. Hey, Larry, please get in touch with me as soon as possible. So those I don't answer. That's a guy. Right. No, you're an interviewer. You're a podcaster. You know, don't don't put yourself down, man. You know, you're. I you're, try to be as professional as possible, especially yeah, yeah, in, especially cool. in the interviews. That's why I have all these notes yeah. up here that I've been. No, it's cool, you know. Compiling it's, over two days, so. Nobody's asking you to be a genius, you know. Just, <laughs> but but nobody asked her to be anything else but a fan, you know. And I accepted her as that. That, that that's you know basically. It, it, it. And that's kind of the great crossover now with, you know everyone can have a podcast if they want to. There's a million and one free services. Yeah. I'm, I'm you, thinking of doing it. I'm thinking of having a podcast. Well, you oh. should do it. It's absolutely. Well, because wonderful. I think I have something to say, you know, something to share. Let me say, let me put it that way. And then uh, probably, uh, well, yeah. I mean, I did stand up and if you do stand up, you, you're, you're not up there. You're up there to, to share something and then be funny. So right. it's, it's like a profession, you know, and, you know, everything with how the Internet has spun it is, you know, everybody can do everything. Well, that's not exactly true either. It, I don't right. I, I don't get this whole everyone can do everything. No, a lot of people can do a lot of things. 
and just about everyone can do something really well. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's just fi- about finding what you do exactly. really, really <laughs> well. Finding it. It's right. It's you know, uh, climb to the top of the mountain. First, you got to find the mountain to climb. Right. <laughs> and I guess I picked my mountain here. And yeah, right, exactly. I I picked mine. Then you do. You climb as well as you can. You know, you do the best you can. Uh, and I don't I don't get wh- what you know the the fans I don't get what they what mountain they're climbing I I don't, I don't get it I mean, they they are climbing a mountain of their own I think in terms of well, maybe you know, their profession cool. yeah I, I I guess you know I I just keep to myself well that and point. that that's something <clears throat> and that's something I noticed when I was doing research for this and you know. I'd seen a lot of your, I'd obviously seen Friends and a lot and Home Alone and Billy Madison and a lot of other things you were in. So I was like, well, I don't need to do that much research. And then I realized this is a really private guy who just kind of wants to be left alone, I think. Well, uh, about, no, I mean. No, because I have friends. I don't want to be left alone. I, when I say left alone, I mean like, don't budge from into his business, private from, life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's what I, but you see, Carl Gottlieb, who's a friend of mine, and he wrote Jaws. He's a writer. He's been a writer all his life. I've known him all my life. I've known him from school, and, and we grew up together. And he became a writer, and he wrote Jaws, and he wrote a lot of other things. He's a writer. But because he's a writer, his work is shown. So his <clears throat> his fans are from his writing. His his fans are of his writing, Jaws and the other movies he wrote. Right. But he can go in public and nobody will bother him. Nobody knows who he is because he's a writer. Nobody has seen his face. So when I go to dinner with him, it's me who gets the attention, not him. But he's way more famous than I am way more famous than I do. Uh, and he has way more fans than I do. But in public, I am the one who gets all the fans, I guess, you know. Uh, and he just can keep eating his dinner and just not be bothered. It, it, so it's really weird. It, it's so funny to me how there's so many behind-the-scenes people that are quote unquote celebrities that nobody knows what they actually look like. Yeah, and then, and I dream of being kind of that, you know. But I, I'm not. I don't want to be left alone. I, I appreciate that woman, you know. Getting off, I'd be saying, "Oh, Mr. Heckles, I saw Mr. Heckles." Yeah, it's kind of a little, little, it, little flash of uh, endorphin. Because here's the thing: movies don't happen without fans either. That's the other thing. Well, yeah. See that, that but, but. But see, I go to movies, but I'm not a fan. I just go to movies because I like movies. <laughs> well, if you're like me and I'm a massive movie junkie and it's about. Well, OK, cool. And, you know, I've considered starting another show that's pretty much exclusively about film and things like that. Cause I took, yeah, that would be a good show. But... I took a lot of film classes in school. And, oh, right. Cool. And I've got a script I'm writing right now for a short film and just a whole lot. That's one of the projects I'm doing. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, I could do that so easily. But like starting another podcast feed is a pain in the ass. <laughs> well, you know, again, for you, 
I, I know I have a, a couple of friends who, who do two and three podcasts and, and also produce other podcasts. I, I mean, do this one and I'm what? working on and I'm joining the staff of another one behind the scenes. And cool. So yeah. I, I don't have to manage that feed. I have to manage this one. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, this is enough. I'll edit your stuff. That's fine. But I'm not doing anything else, please. Yeah, right. No, you you can't you can't do too much. You got to know when to when to stop. You know, taking on stuff. Yeah, that that's I was doing that for a, for a while. Doing too many things. I was writing and making films and being an actor and memorizing lines. Uh, it was just too much. You know, so I cut out a couple and the, the more I cut out the better I felt so there, there's that and and the uh, there's an old I don't know an old saw an old saying about you know just do one thing at a time and I've learned that in my dotage that doing one thing at a time is really the way to go at least for me so I just want to write now not make a film not be an actor just write and it it uh it's very relaxing, very freeing. You know, you have, I have more fun doing one thing than I did doing about five. You know. I, so, I can attest to that. When I was only doing this, I think I was having a lot more fun. <laughs> well, you know, but, you know, you'll put up with it until you can't, you know, and then hopefully you'll get out. You'll, you'll, I mean, I enjoy everything I do. That's not the issue. Like, I just have a lot of goals, and the way I see it is... Nobody's going to live forever. So, right. You just got to yeah, get it all done. Well, I, I know a lot of people who do a lot of jobs and they can handle it. And the reason that they can do a lot of jobs and the reason they can handle it is because they have a technique that they develop a way of doing five jobs. It's not just they're doing five jobs. No. There's an actual production schedule, if you will. I mean, they divide their days up. They compart. They can compartmentalize. That's I find that very difficult because of my dyslexia. I can't compartmentalize. So the less I do, the better I feel, and and the better I do what I am concentrating on and can focus on. But there are some people who are doing five or ten jobs and they do the all the jobs very well because they can handle it they like it they can focus it they don't have dyslexia i mean you know so people don't realize how much dyslexia can affect your focus and i that's basically what it is focus it's just different focus in other words dyslexia isn't the same for every person but it has to do with focusing see people think it's the same for everybody like I had a friend think it was a reading disorder and I'm like, no, that is not what that is. Well, but wait a minute. It wait is. Minute. It is. Well, think of it. What do you what, think of the word? What do you th- dyslexia? Dis. Right. Not. Lexia. Reading. Not reading. Dyslexia. I didn't think about it like that. Well, if you knew Latin, you would know that's exactly what it is. And what they found is dyslexia has to do with not being able to read or read well or to memorize because what happens in the reading process is you can focus on each word singly. You know, you can read a sentence 
scan it and you can understand each word at a millionth of a second, you know, because you read a whole sentence in what? In two seconds, you can read a sentence and you understood every word and you didn't even stop on each one. Right. But when it goes in, it gets scrambled. That's what happens. And the dyslexia and is in different people is they put it together different. So, you know, so each person has his own particular way of not being able to read or to understand or focus. But it has to do with not reading and focus, but it's a different for each person. Mine is quite difficult uh, in, in the putting it together. Like memor memorization is, is my dyslexic big fault. Uh, that, and that's why improvisation came in so, so well. Uh, on, on the first, uh, I think it was the first or the second show that I do, did uh, for uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, I, oh, I, I think it was the first one. I auditioned, I had five lines. Five lines is easy. An entire page is difficult. So I had five lines. I loved it. I, I wanted to do it. I did it. I, when I got on the set with my five lines, I get on the set and they had another page, an entire page. To memorize and I go what is this and they said well Vince liked your audition tape so much that he wrote you a monologue and I just freaked out man because I said no it was a whole page one one long monologue he had written for me and I said to the AD who was just a young kid I said I can't do this you know I, I'm dyslexic I, I I let me talk to Clint, uh, to, to, Clint, to Vince. And he said, Vince isn't here. I said, well, how long do I have to memorize this? He said, well, you're going to shoot in about two hours. I said, that's impossible. So when I shouted that, you know, that's impossible. He left because <laughs> he said, uh-oh, it's an actor freaking out. I'm out of here. So he just left me there with two hours and a script, uh, a monologue. And there's no way in this world or any other that I could memorize an entire monologue and I had to shoot it in two hours. Well, luckily for me, I had two things going for me. One, I was an improviser and two, I just had a lot of temerity. I just thought I was, you know, hey, I can, I, I had a lot of belief in my improvisational skills. So I just sat there, I, I go, went over it, and then um, when I went out onto the set, I just improvised the whole thing. And it worked. Uh, I don't think I'll ever try that again because the fear factor was just Im impossible. But you got their point across and they were happy with it, so it worked, right? Well, uh, here's the, the saving grace. Well, when I started, basically I said to the director, I said, look, um, can we break this up, you know, shoot him, shoot me, shoot the close-up? So I, I figured I could memorize each little section if you broke it up. And, but I didn't say I couldn't memorize it. I just said, why don't we break this up? And he said, no, we're going to just shoot a walk and talk all in one. You do it once, and you're out of here, and you go home. So That's what Breaking Bad was, was the slow, long, walk-along yeah, so, shots. Yeah, so... I, he and he insisted on it, and I didn't want to tell him that I couldn't memorize. I couldn't memorize it. I didn't want to tell him I was going to improvise it. I didn't say anything. So he says, "Is that okay with you?" And I said, "Yeah, sure," because I thought, "Well, I'll improvise." It. 
So he said, okay, get way down there and just walk towards the camera. It was where I was keeping the cop out of the Winnebago because uh, Aaron and Brian were in there hiding and I had to just talk legally. So it was a legal document. I had to quote legalese. That was the monologue, legalese. And I had to improvise it. So he just said, get down there. Is that okay? I said, yeah, sure. I got down there and I improvised. I improvised the whole thing. And when I got down to it, he uh, down to it, you know, and end it right here. He all he said was, "Okay, great." And I went, "Holy cow! I just memorized that whole thing. Great! I thought he was going to fire me." He just says, "Go back there and do it again, just one once more." I said, "Okay." I mean, I thought, "Well, I'm in the clear now. He's got it in the can. I can screw up and forget something or whatever." But I just thought, I'll do it again. So I improvised it again. I just re-improvised legalese about keeping, you, you can't go in there. I walked down and then at the end of it, I thought, well, now he's going to fire me. And he goes, great. Okay, thank you, Larry. And there was the limo, because we were in the middle of the desert. That, that garbage dump was in the middle of the desert. There was a limo there and they drove me back to the production office. And I didn't know what the hell happened. I thought, what? So I waited and I watched after two weeks, you know, they, I watched the show to see what they would do with me improvising legalese. Very simple. The director wrote what I had read. He didn't say that. But I found out that this speech, this legal speech that was written for me, this monologue, that director wrote it. So as soon as I started walking, he knew that I was improvised, that I was making it up, that I was thinking on my feet. That's thinking on your feet, not improvising. I was just, so he knew that I was improvising and he didn't say a word. He just made me do it again. And in his mind, he knew this guy can never remember to memorize his speech, but if I have him do it twice, I can piece together a voiceover of what's needed to keep the cop out of the Winnebago because he's improvising stuff that can keep the cop out of the Winnebago. And if you watch the show and watch that scene, I'm in that scene for exactly, I think, nine seconds. He gets me starting and then he cuts back and forth between the Winnebago and the cop for the rest of the scene. And once in the middle of the scene, he cuts to me because I said something correct. He cuts to me for about two seconds, cuts back and forth between the cop and the Winnebago. And then at the end, he cuts to me and that's it. And they, the voiceover is me, but the voiceover is my improvisation that he cobbled together, taking pieces and cobbled together and movies is magic. And I, that's when I thought, okay, I'm going to get out of the business because I can't do this anymore. And then when I did El Camino and he said, Larry, take five minutes and go learn your lines. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was three years later, but I hooked him up. I said, man, he gave me a monologue this time. And now he's given me five minutes to memorize it exactly. So, you know, uh, it, the bullshit became larger than the paycheck. That was all. The, when the bullshit becomes larger than the paycheck, you that, get out. That's your cue to. <laughs> that's the cue to go. 
that's yeah, the cue right. to say, okay, you know, this was fun for a while. I'm out. Thank you. But I gotta hit you gotta rumble. Move on. Uh, you know, or or, or the uh, the bullshit is larger than the laughs, and you get out. You know, but when the bullshit becomes larger than whatever you're there for, really, right, you, you get out very simple. And it's very hard sometimes. Like I say, if you're married, if you got a house, if you got mortgage payments, see that's all the CEOs. That's that's where the bullshit starts. The CEOs of all these major companies. They have major, big, humongous homes that have huge mortgages and they have boats that they have huge mortgages on. So they have to cut corners and stay in the job, even if they hate it, because they have to keep paying their mortgages. So that's one of the things I've always avoided. It's a mortgage. <laughs> See, people don't realize that those boats that these CEOs and these business people have, yeah. they're all they're mortgage. married to them. They're married to the, not their wives, they're married to the mortgage. People don't realize that all those boats and things that they have, they're all mortgaged, guys. Like, people don't know that. I I've known that for quite a while, but a lot of people don't know that those are all mortgaged. Well, if, if, you're, if you're working for something else, like not, not for being here, like, like, for instance, an actor. If you're working because you're an actor and you love acting and there's a lot of bullshit going on, you're there because I'm here because I'm an actor and there's a lot of bullshit going on, but I don't care. I'm getting off because I love acting and this is a great job right now. But if you're not there because you're an, not a want to be an actor like me, you're there for the money and and the money isn't big, then, then I have to leave because even though I'm, an a I'm being an actor, I'm not here because I love acting. I'm here because the money will get me to make a film. And this money isn't getting me to make a film. So I don't care if I'm an actor. I'm not here to be an actor. I'm here for the money and the money is getting me a film. I'm gone. Now, like I say, I'm not an actor. Actors, I've met actors. They love being an actor. And there's a lot of bullshit going on. But they love acting more. Good for you. You know? So it's, the formula is very simple for me. And, uh, you know, there's dues to be paid. Because I have to leave a lot of places because it's not worth it. Why did you quit there, Larry? That was such a sweet job. Because it wasn't worth it. There's too much... That I wasn't interested. If it's in, not worth it, it's not worth it. It's that simple. Like yeah, well, yeah, but a lot of people don't don't understand that. It's it's weird because it seems a simple concept to grok. Like, but if no. you tell someone, hey, if someone asks you, hey, why'd you quit? It wasn't worth it. That should not be a difficult concept to just grab a hold oh, of. Oh well, you know, I've I've never come up with that answer. I just came up with an answer talking to you right now. I always made some excuse, you know. Just, uh, you know, it, it kind of avoid the discussion altogether. But I guess, yeah, if you just say it's not worth it, then that avoids the discussion. So I guess I'll use that. So thank you for pointing it out to me. Thank you. Well, Mr. Uh, Hankin, I know you're about almost out of time here, but yeah, I, I want to thank you for coming. Because well, thank you for having me. Really a great discussion. Great, great conversation. Thank I've you. I've loved having you. You are welcome back most any time. Okay, well, when I, I tell you what, when I, I'm writing a book about my adventures in show business, 
So when I when the book comes out, yeah, we can talk about the book. Let's let's plan on it. I think you have my number now, right? I called you earlier, so I. Oh no, it, it wasn't uh, recorded. But you just sent me your email, right? With, with the uh, thing, so I got your email. So okay, cool. Reach no, back yeah. out, and we will do this again to our loyal listeners. Thank you guys so much for listening. We thank you at the end of every show because we would not be here without you. Uh, Larry Hankin, it has been a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Been a pleasure too. Have Take a great rest of your day. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Recording stopped.